This Sunday marks the third week that we and so many other churches have had the opportunity to sacrificially love our neighbors by not physically gathering together. It's a strange season that we're in and something that none of us have ever faced. And so in these weeks, as things seem to be changing on a daily basis, my desire has been to reaffirm that God alone is worthy of our complete faith and that we're called to trust in the Lord in the midst of all suffering and difficulty. We said that our, our hope is not in the amount of faith that we have, but rather who our faith is in. Uh, a weak faith in an all-powerful, all-knowing, good and wise God is better than a strong faith in something or someone else. But we've also said that our faith can grow as we see God as worthy of our complete faith, as, as a God who is completely trustworthy. The more we know about God, the more we find him able to bear the weight of all that we are facing and the more firmly and fully that we can rest in him. For some of us, the, the weight of what we're facing seems to grow heavier every day. We feel the, the weight as the case numbers and the death toll continues to rise. We feel it in the words of family and friends, in the faces of our co-workers. We feel it in stories of people that we've never met. We feel it in our own church family and in the stress and difficulty in our own homes. And I just want to say again that this is a heavy season and it's okay to not be okay. You might even pause now and just take a deep breath and simply accept the fact that this is hard. It may be difficult for more difficult for some than for others and the pain is greater for some than for others, but there is difficulty and there is pain for all of us. But I want to affirm again that the weight of all of this does not need to crush us. And the way we've been trying to see how we can bear up underneath all of this is that we can rest on who God is, knowing that, that he can bear all of the weight of this when we cannot. So I want us to again remember who God is. I want us to turn the eyes of our hearts once more to our Father and find that no matter what is changing around us, he is still worthy of all our faith and hope and trust. I want us to turn to the character of the Lord and find that he is good, he is sovereign, and he is wise. We've thought about his goodness and his love as well as his sovereignty and his divine providence. And so today I want us to meditate on his wisdom. We'll be in a number of passages, but you can turn to Romans 8 for now. And all of the passages that we'll be looking at will be encouraging us to trust the only wise God. Trust the only wise God. In Romans 16.27, Paul concludes his masterpiece with the words, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Having just surveyed the beauty of the gospel message, extolling the wisdom of God is a good way to end the book of Romans. Our God alone is perfect in wisdom. And to understand God as the only wise one, we might begin by, by thinking about the relationship between human wisdom and God's wisdom. When we talk about wisdom in the scriptures, we often say that it is skill in living. 
Wisdom has to do with knowledge, but it's, it's not simply knowing many things, but also applying that knowledge in the best way that we can. It has to do with, with taking into account all the facts and truths that we know and then seeking to apply them to our lives in the best way possible. You might think about government officials now who are considering all of the facts and seeking to make the best decisions for the health and safety of their constituents. And we see some acting with more wisdom than others. So what about the wisdom of God? Like human wisdom, God's wisdom has to do with his knowledge. But of course, God's knowledge is infinite. He knows all things, and as Psalm 18.30 says, his way is perfect. Isaiah 40, verse 28 is a familiar verse. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And knowing all things, God always acts with perfection. Compared to us, sometimes we, we do our best to make wise decisions. We use all of the information and the knowledge that we have, but we still make wrong choices. But God always makes the best decision in every circumstance. As for us, sometimes we, we know the wisest action, but we lack the power to accomplish it. But God, who is perfect in power, can always do what he knows is the best thing to do, from the fault, smallest event to those that affect the entire world. Brothers and sisters, God's knowledge and power are perfect. And we can trust that he always makes the wisest decisions in our world. We can trust the only wise God. Now, having thought about some of the similarity, similarities and differences between God's wisdom and, and human wisdom, it may be helpful to think about some, some definitions. Here's some definitions I found. Uh, Louis Burkhoff says God's wisdom is that perfection of God whereby he applies his knowledge to the attainment of his ends in a way which glorifies him most. A little bit to that, let me say it again. It's the perfection of God whereby he applies his knowledge to the attainment, to the accomplishment of his ends, his purposes, in a way which glorifies him most. So again, it's knowledge applied to God's plans and purposes in the world. And because God's wisdom is perfect and his power is limitless, his decisions always accomplishes, accomplish his purposes, the main one of which is his own glory. A similar definition comes from Wayne Grudem. He says, God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. God's ends and his means to those ends are always the best. Again, compare it to us. Sometimes we have a, a wise goal, but unwise means to accomplish that goal. Sometimes we have good means, but our, our goal is wrong. But, but God is all wise. His goals and his means to accomplish that goal are always best. We can apply this reality to any situation, but it certainly seems pertinent to apply it to this current pandemic that we're all going through. Even in this, God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. Now, that's, that's easy to say. But when we stare into all the havoc that this disease is wreaking in the world, and we, and we hear that God's wisdom decided this was the best means to accomplish his goals, then we are prone to ask questions. 
Why? Why is God doing what he is doing? If, if he is wise, then what is his purpose behind our present reality? If COVID-19 is a means to an end, what is the end? And can such a disease and all that it's causing in this world be a wise choice? Now, from that why question, I just want to give us two thoughts that we see in Scripture, and that's what we'll spend our time thinking about. Two thoughts. First, God is working in ways that we cannot fully grasp. God is working in ways that we cannot fully grasp. I won't explain the entire context for those of you who have not seen this movie, but in the classic movie, What About Bob?, Dr. Leo Marvin begins acting in an extreme way and his family can't figure out what's going on. And seeking to explain his apparent irrational behavior, the family's new friend, Bob Wiley, explains, we can't begin to understand him. He's so far above us. We're, we're like ropes on a Goodyear blimp. It's a silly quote. Silly quote to illustrate a deeper truth, namely that, that God has condescended to us and he has revealed himself to us in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ. He's given us his spirit to lead us into all truth. And he's even answered many of our why questions. But all of that doesn't mean that we will always understand his ways. In fact, in many instances, we, instances, we will not. As near as he is to us, dwelling in us by his spirit, he is still high above us. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But we want to understand all of his ways and, and all of his thoughts. Therefore, there's this temptation to affirm that, that we must trust that God is wise. And we do that. We say, we trust you, Lord, that you are all wise. But then we devote a lot of our time and energy to trying to understand his wisdom, to trying to, to trace out all of his purposes. Yet our trust is to be in the fact that God is wise, not in the fact that we understand his wisdom. Our trust is in God's unchanging character, not in our interpretation of what he's doing. God's wisdom is not primarily something that we seek to fully understand in every situation. Rather, it's part of his character that we seek to trust. And we can trust that he is wise, even when we don't understand his ways. But we're taught this over and over again in the book of Job, as Job and his friends wrestle with the why questions. Why did God allow all of the heartache and the pain that came into Job's life? Everyone in that book has an opinion. But how does God respond to all of their conjecture? Does he explain his wisdom and his ways? Does he let Job in on the purpose behind all of the pain? No, he doesn't. Rather, the book ends with a lesson in who God is, this technicolor display of the power and wisdom of God in creation. Not so that Job can say, now I understand what you were doing all along, but rather so that he would respond in Job 42, 2 and 3, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. 
similar to the book of Job in Romans 9 through 11, Paul addresses the question of God's election of some and his rejection of others, answering some of the hypothetical why questions. But then after giving some of those answers, he eventually resolves the why questions much the way that the Lord does in Job's situation. And he asks his own question in Romans 9.20, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? I think he's saying in different words the truth of Psalm 115.3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases, whether we understand it or not. Paul concludes that section in Romans 11, 33 through 36 by exalting in who God is. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Jerry Bridges writes of these verses in his book, Trusting God. He says, God's wisdom is fathomless. His decisions are unsearchable. His methods are mysterious and untraceable. No one has ever understood his mind, let alone advised him on the proper course of action. How futile and even arrogant for us to seek to determine what God is doing in a particular event or circumstance. We simply cannot search out the reasons behind his decisions or trace out the ways by which he brings those decisions to pass. To that end, we might think about how misunderstood Jesus was. Even Peter, one of his closest friends, so misunderstood the mission of Christ that the Lord had to rebuke him as acting in league with Satan himself. I was reading in John 11, which tells the the story of the raising of Lazarus, and I was struck by how many people seemed to incorrectly let Jesus know what was the best thing to do in that situation. Lazarus was sick, and so Martha and Mary said, come now, but Jesus waited. Jesus said to his disciples that Lazarus was sleeping, and they responded, that's good, missing his point. When they decide to go, Thomas says, let's go and die too, which is admirable, but confused at best. When Jesus arrives, Martha seemingly says, you should have come earlier, then my brother wouldn't have died. And the crowds and the Pharisees couldn't figure out why he had not prevented Lazarus' death. Even as they stood before the tomb, Jesus told them to open it, and they protested. They said, that's not a good idea. He's been in there four days, and the body's going to smell. In, in this singular chapter, this singular story, no one had any idea what Jesus was doing. They had their own thoughts, but they could not see the wisdom of his plan to bring glory to the Father. In fact, ironically, the only person in John 11 that spoke something insightful was the high priest, Caiaphas, and he did it accidentally and out of spite when he said it was better for one man to die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. And yet we still think we can understand God's ways. We think we can discern his plans and his purposes, large and small. To that end, here's a, another good word from Jerry Bridges. Because God's wisdom is infinite and his ways inscrutable to us, we should be also be very careful in seeking to interpret the ways of God in his providence, especially in particular events. Additionally, we need to be cautious of others who offer themselves as interpreters about the why and wherefore of all that is happening. Be wary of those who say, 
God let this happen so that you might learn such and such a lesson. The fact is, we do not know what God is doing through a particular set of circumstances or events. We might also say that we're especially blind to God's wisdom when we're in the midst of a difficulty. Insight can come, but usually the insight comes as it did for Joseph in the book of Genesis, meaning that there was clarity as to God's purposes and in, in Joseph's pain, but it was only at the end of Joseph's life. In the midst of the trial, he just had to trust that God was with him and that God was working in ways that he could not understand. We might even think about the disciples. And over and over, we find that it was only after Jesus had died and risen that they understood what he was saying and doing. And so finding all the answers to our why questions is not required for us to trust the wisdom of God. In fact, most often we are called to trust God's wisdom when we haven't the foggiest idea what he is doing or why he is doing it. Having said all of this, let me also say that, that why is not a bad question to ask. But it must be a question that leads us less into a quest for answers and more into a lament that turns to trust. And I say that because that's the, the pattern of so many of the Psalms. They begin with hard questions, with despair and anguish and even why questions. And in that, the Psalms allow us to give full vent to our emotions. The words of an Andy Gullihorn song have been coming to my mind in recent days. And at one point in the song, he says to God, I hope you know what you're doing. I hope you know what you're doing. That, that sounds a lot like the Psalms. It's one way we might initially respond to trials and difficulty and pain. And it's okay to ask why questions and to wonder at the strangeness and the confusion around us. But the Psalms also show us that in the end, we come to a place of trust, not perfect faith always, and not understanding everything that God's doing, but rather a hope that says, I believe, help my unbelief. I'd encourage you to turn to the Psalms and let them lead you to faith in our all-wise God. Well, let's move on. We, we've seen that God is working in ways that, that we cannot fully grasp. But we could also say this. Secondly, God is working good that we can seek to understand. God is working good that we can seek to understand. We may never know why God is doing what he is doing, especially in specific concrete terms. But we know enough about God to say that in all things, he is working for his glory and for our good. God, the glorious source of all, is always seeking his own glory. Well, we've hinted at this a bit already, but a few passages to drive it home. Colossians 1.16 tells us that all things were created through God and for him, for his glory. Ephesians 1, 11 through 12 shows that our salvation is for God's greater glory. It says, in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And we find that even our trials are turned for the glory of God. Jesus is clear that the man born blind in John 9 was not born without sight because of his, his sin 
or anyone else's sin, but why? Jesus says it was so that the works of God could be displayed in him, so that in his healing, Jesus could glorify the Father. In all things, a bedrock, foundational, unchanging truth is that God is working for his glory. And secondly, he's working for the good of his children. Finally, we're here at Romans 8. Let me just read Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, we don't have time to consider the entire context of this passage. And so I want to refer you actually back to a message from Romans 8 that we preached at our church in September of 2014. I'll put a link to the audio in the description of this video. And as strange as that might sound to you, I, I, I listened to this sermon that I preached back then and found that it was helpful to revisit. Uh, I preached it and I needed to hear it again. And so maybe you'll be helped as well. But for now, I just want us to look at Romans 8, 28 through 30. Romans 8, 28 is a, a favorite verse of many. It, it tells us that for those who are loved by God and called to do his will, everything in life is being used for our good. Now, the question that comes, the question we have to ask is, what is our good? What does it mean? What does the word good mean in this circumstance? We often assume, assume that the good of verse 28 means that everything's going to work out in our favor. So if I if I lose $20, I'm going to find $20 in my winter coat pocket someday soon. Or if my car breaks down, it was because God was keeping me from being involved in an accident. We, we turn into Pollyanna, who was unrealistically optimistic. Or people can become angry with God when things don't work out for the good that they had expected, when, when life stays difficult, when cancer continues, when there's no job to be had, when quarantine goes on and on when life just gets harder we assume that that's not good so what is the good that's spoken of here it's spelled out in verses 29 through 30 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers verse 29 assures us that if god has called us then he has determined to conform us into the image of his son. And that is the good that God is working for all believers in all circumstances. All suffering, all trials can be used by God to make us more like Jesus. The good that God is working in us in every circumstance is that he's going to make us more like Christ. Or as we said in our Isaiah study recently, God is always leading us to trust in him. If we follow the, the chain of these verses, we find that the ultimate result of God working for our good is our glorification, the realization of our full redemption at the return of Christ. And so for the Christian, 
God truly is working all things for our good. And the good that we desire more than anything else is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, which is why James can can tell us to count it joy when we face trials, because the trials are necessary for us to be more like Christ. And being more like Christ for the glory of God, that's the deepest desire of our hearts. This is the deepest desire for the Christian because it was the deepest desire of Jesus himself. On this Palm Sunday, we remember that Jesus willingly submitted to the wisdom of the Father in the work of redemption. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey, knowing that by doing so, he was setting in motion the events that would lead to his crucifixion. But he also knew that his death would glorify the Father and bring about good for his people. He knew that God is wise and all his ways are good. And if we are in Christ, then we can trust that he is working for our good, the good of his glory and the good of our growth in Christ-likeness. Trusting God's wisdom is, in fact, very Christ-like. And so at this point, the question becomes, do we want that good more than anything else? Do, Do we long for the glory of God? And do we long to be formed into the image of Jesus? Or would we rather just live a pain-free life? Would we rather be comfortable and less like Jesus? Would we rather not face trials and never have our faith stretched? If we long for God's glory and the good of our growth in Christ-likeness, then we can see God's wisdom in the darkest of days and even rejoice in his goodness, knowing that at the very least, he is glorifying himself and he's making us more like Jesus. Let me also say at this point that if you're not a Christian, that all things are not working, that all things are not working for your good, but they are working to help you to to see that you are made to live for God's glory and to become more like Jesus. The suffering and the trials of your life are intended to show you that you need Christ. They are to draw you to him, to the one who suffered and died to pay the penalty for your sins and to rise again to make you his own. God calls you to faith in the finished work of Jesus and to a life of faith that can weather any difficulties that arise. A faith that trusts God's wisdom, that knows that God is working in ways that we cannot fully grasp. But a faith also that knows because God is wise, he is also working good that we can seek to understand. I've drawn a lot from Jerry Bridges, and he ends his chapter on God's wisdom with a quote from a man named J.L. Dagg. And I, I want to conclude our time in the Word with those same words. Dagg writes this, It should fill us with joy. Note that. It should fill us with joy that infinite wisdom guides the affairs of the world. Many of its events are shrouded in darkness and mystery, An inextricable confusion sometimes seems to reign. Often wickedness prevails, and God seems to have forgotten the creatures that he has made. Our own path through life is dark and devious and beset with difficulties and dangers. How full of consolation, how comforting is the doctrine that infinite wisdom directs every event, brings order out of confusion, and light out of darkness. And to those who love God, 
causes all things, whatever be their present aspect and apparent tendency, to work together for good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your infinite wisdom that you are God only wise. Lord, we confess that we want to know all the answers. We want to understand why everything is happening. And so we even now submit and recognize, God, that your ways are above our ways. We, we freely let go of the desire to know all things. We freely say, Lord, we don't need all the answers to why the things that are causing us difficulty are happening in our lives. We don't need the concrete answers. We don't need to know all the details. We will trust in your wisdom. We will trust that you know what you are doing, even though we are confused, even though we don't understand, even though our plan would be very different from yours. And we also trust, Lord, that in this, you are working for your glory and you are working for the good of making us more like Jesus. Lord, make that our great desire, that our desire wouldn't be for comfort. Our desire wouldn't be that these things be over as soon as possible. Our desire wouldn't be for anything else except that you would be lifted up, that you would be honored, and we would become more like you, bringing more honor and praise to your name. Father, we, we trust in your wisdom. We trust in your sovereign hand that's in control. We trust that you are a good and loving God who cares for us. And so, Lord, we have great hope. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.